0: The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Participants in this podcast may also own the securities discussed. For more information, head over to investsmart.com.au.
1: Welcome to Skinny in the Game. I'm your host, Nathan Bell, Portfolio Manager at Intelligent Investor, and joining me as always, Alex Hughes, our Small Cap Portfolio Manager. Welcome, Alex. Hi, Nathan. Hi, everyone. So, a few profit downgrades. They seem to be increasing in number recently, and one of the ones we've been asked about is Link Administration Holdings, which is uh, a holding in the portfolios I manage. So, the question is, following last Friday's earnings update, uh, the share price has fallen – it's actually around 30%, I I think, from the – Uh, announcement. Are the changes in the business structural or are the Brexit aspects of the announcement just a timing issue and possibly creating a buying opportunity? So there's a couple of parts to this and the first thing is if you look through the announcement I know there's a lot of people quite frustrated that there wasn't more clarity around certain aspects of the actual what the actual downgrade was. There was a number of components to it and I'd say just roughly uh, seems to be about 70% of it was just temporary factors, and 30% actually seems to be more permanent impact. Um, the interesting thing, I think most people were looking at this business, and, and as I was, and saying, you know, well, so we paid around $7 for a share, so it was got to up around $8. And it should be a fairly steady business. I mean, this is just an administration processing business. There's definitely some cyclicality in businesses like Link and Computershare. The more activity there is, uh, then the more work they have on. Um, the, the Achilles heel for Link has always been the fact that uh, at the time uh, when it floated, which is uh, I think two or three years ago now, it had a uh, big reliance on Australian superannuation clients as so the rest and the big industry super funds, uh, which it, did, it does the administration for, and so that's why I always kept it to sort of around 3 to 4% of the portfolio and I generally wouldn't think this was ever going to be a 7 or 8% like a very high conviction because it just has that um, Achilles heel the way if you lose a couple of those customers it's going to have a fairly big impact on the business. Now what the business has done since then is it's made a large acquisition uh, in the UK which was going to give them a foot in the door into Europe which was quite exciting because I think there are a lot of opportunities um, in Europe and in the UK Which is actually, I always find quite strange because you think that America and these other big international places would have their own companies already doing a lot of this stuff, but it turns out they're actually quite behind the eight ball, which has really been why Computer Share has been so successful. So there was an opportunity there, and the other uh, valuable asset that Link has is a 44% share of PEXA, uh, which is a a property administration business, uh, online business in Australia. Uh, it's still in very early days, but I think the value so far, just of what, or at least what's been spent on the business, is around $800 million. Uh, and that's not hitting the bottom line yet. There's no real profit coming out. So uh, basically the bull case for me was paying around 15, 16 times earnings for the business as is. PEXA gets thrown in essentially as, as an option. Uh, and hopefully there would be some growth through acquisitions over time across Europe um, you know, and maybe the UK. And so what's happened is the bottom line now is only going to be slightly behind where it was last year. So in a sense, you've had uh, a big acquisition and profits have actually gone slightly backwards. So it feels like a lot of things have failed here. And now there's a real question about management. as Have they taken on too much? What's really going on in the business? There seems to be more questions than answers. Mm. So I think in my past, I naturally when I see a share price fall 30% of a company I, I like, um, automatically that the value contrarian instinct kicks in and i'm ready to go and buy more but because of that achilles heel where uh, management's been saying for 18 months now that they've been renegotiating with rest on the con their contract which is quite big and over the next two two and a half years they've got to renegotiate all the contracts with the other four big superannuation administrators on their books and so for me until i feel more comfortable about that i, I still think this is something i would want to keep to three to four percent that cost of the portfolio so um, to me it's not an opportunity in the sense I'm buying more um, but in the sense that you're paying a lot less now than you were and I still think there's upside in this business I don't think it's I think when the share price goes down this far all of a sudden you start thinking about all the bearish things that can go wrong uh, and you've really got to fight that bias because you've got to weigh everything up but I think the next really important uh, piece of information is June 18 uh, in London, of all places, the company's having an investor day, uh, and then I think we'll get a lot more clarity about what the opportunities are. And um, then I don't think I'm going to make any changes to portfolios as is anyway, but um, so that's that. Any comments, Alex? You know, it linked very well.
0: No, it's not one I follow closely. I've, I've noticed the, the downgrades over the last few years, so I've sort of kept my distance, but um, yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd be keen to see a bit of time pass and see a bit more information flow through and then reform an opinion. Yeah, I think it's really important
1: not just to look at the PE now and say, look, next year it's trading at probably 14 and a half, 14 times earnings adjusted for the PEXA investment. Uh, and just you've just got to think about what the business is actually going to look like in four or five years. And, and I think there'll probably be some management changes at some point as well. Next question is: So, when you start a portfolio with the blue chip companies, are you only buying companies that are on your buy list, or are you okay with buying a blue chip that is a hold, but just a smaller position? Uh, and there's a second part about zero,
0: but I'll let you handle that one first, Alex. Yeah, starting a new portfolio, I find to be very difficult. You know, you're faced with the challenge of starting from zero. You've got cash, the market's there, the market's moving, share prices are moving, and and you need to build a portfolio from scratch. Um, and, and you also have to reconcile that there aren't going to be lots of great opportunities at the time you start with a new portfolio, that's just not how markets work. And so most of the businesses you're going to be looking at are going to be closer to fairly priced and you're going to um, be making some compromises. So th- there might be a handful of buyers that you'll buy first but then you'll probably be looking at buying some fairly priced businesses that you're really confident in those businesses and you know the future profile for those businesses and I think there's a case for being more diversified when you do this because you're obviously paying higher prices so there's not great returns on offer and it's arguably a higher risk time for the portfolio. Um, so there is a case for owning more stocks than you ordinarily might and then you, you could refine that over time. Um, but yeah, I think I think the main thing is that you need to accept that you're going to be buying essentially holds, so businesses that um, you know probably provide a better return than cash but Maybe don't provide um, the type of return you're used to adding to a portfolio, um, and and perhaps you you know you have a higher mix of cash initially, and, and give yourself a better time to find new opportunities over time.
1: We had an interesting discussion recently, Alex, because uh, I have to invest the ethical portfolio very shortly, mm. and uh, about potentially getting market exposure um, if you haven't necessarily got all the stocks ready to go into fulfill uh, to fill out a complete portfolio.
0: Yeah, I think. I mean I'm not necessarily advocating that approach but I think it's worth thinking about because it does h- help to put everything in perspective. So the concept is when you start with a, a new portfolio you could put 100% of that into a, an index fund which ma- matches um, you know, the types of returns you're trying to achieve and the asset class that you're focusing on. And from that point forward, it's a it's a process of deduction where you reduce the exposure to the index fund as you add um, positions in your high conviction buy ideas. And so on day one, you might start with you know a hundred percent exposure to the index fund, or perhaps you you know you might have twenty percent cash as working capital or something like that. And then you slowly reduce that index fund and put it into your favorite stocks. Um, so that way, you can sort of take your mind off oh geez I'm underinvested, I don't have enough exposure to the market and so on, you know what if it races, you can take away all those thoughts out of your mind and just slowly get invested over time at a, at a pace that suits you. Um, I am I th- oh, not. I haven't You know, thought about all the ins and outs of that approach but there are some aspects to it that interest me. Now I think it's quite an intelligent approach and I
1: know a couple of funds that launched probably three, four years ago when the markets were a bit cheaper than what they are today And they only invested 50% of the portfolio. These are professional fund manager portfolios, Mm. not personal ones. And they thought, you know, over the next 12, 18 months, we'll get it fully invested. And what ended up happening is the market took off and they only had half the portfolio invested. So their first 12, 18 months, the returns were, you know, woefully under the benchmark. And four years later, they still only got back to the benchmark even though they've actually had
0: quite good returns on what has been invested. Yep and when the market's racing ahead that just adds another pressure onto you and that might increase the risk that you make a bad investment decision as well so yeah arguably doing this index deduction approach maybe you know that helps to alleviate some of those pressures and um, helps you to make better decisions potentially. It's always amazing how much psychology is involved with these decisions. Oh absolutely.
1: And the second part of the question from Brendan was, uh, what were your thoughts on Zero's 2019 annual results?
0: Um, yeah, I, I thought it was reasonably good. Um, it's it's still this juggernaut that just continues to roll ahead and, and, and be really impressive in most markets. Um, at the group level, the, the growth in revenue is about 30%. Um, and in the UK in particular, it was almost 50%. Um, that was supported by this making ta- tax digital agenda from the government over there um, so that's encouraging people to take up accounting software faster than they ordinarily might. Um, but yeah, the business is growing strongly in in, in all markets um, and it's also doing a number of really important strategic things which which I'm quite inth- enthused about. So um, the main one there is just this this platform that they're building um, and that comes about because they have a really large user base um, and they also have a single... Code base as well. So, you know, legacy businesses like MyOb that have all of these different products, you know, on premise and also SaaS businesses, they're not in this position to provide this single platform. Um, And that's important because um, for third party developers that want to develop apps that integrate with Xero. Xero um, has a really big user base and so it's the logical choice for them. So Xero now has 50,000 third party developers that are building things to add to Xero's functionality. They've got about 700 apps that are already released. And so Xero is going to become like a marketplace, you know, like the App Store or like the, the Google Play Store. And so you get all this, all the benefit of all the effort from all these people that, you know, they're not on the payroll, but they're improving your product. And these are the network effects that we've seen work in many different areas, from Microsoft to to Apple to Google. So I think I think that's really special for Apple, and that's still in the early days. and I, I think, you know, perhaps Intuit could also do this. I think they're probably well positioned and I kn- I know they've got an app store and they've got, you know, a similar amount of apps. This is the big US company. That's the big US competitor. But I, I think most of the other ones are, are gonna completely miss out on this opportunity. So it could be a, a duopoly, a global duopoly where Zero and Intuit really own this market and I, I think that will become more important in time. Um, but in terms of the the core business, I mean it's great to have a business that's just layering network effects on top of network effects. Um, but in terms of the core, businesses, core business, it's going really well, um, it's adding a lot of value, it, it's still spending a lot of marketing um, but that provides a great return, um, a really tax efficient way to grow um, and so yeah, I'm really enthused by the position and see it as a core holding. Sad. Both of ours is our only exposure to the the waxer stocks.
1: (laughs) That's right. Maybe we need to add add Ordinate for another A. Uh, Hi team, given their recent results and apparent growth trajectory, what are your thoughts on the future prospects for Straker
0: regards John Thompson? Yeah, for me, um, the jury is out on Straker. This is a New Zealand-based translation business that listed in October last year. Um, I'm often cautious about businesses that have recently listed because... You know, There's just a number of variables that are unknown. Um, the sellers obviously pick the time to list, so it's it's a higher risk time to invest in a business. Information asymmetry is rife. Um, but in saying that, this business does have a few interesting characteristics. Um, their model seems to be based on essentially a roll up where they buy smaller translation businesses and they think that they've got better processes and better data and um, just better internal systems and that allows them to extract more value from the businesses they've purchased. Now they've got evidence that they've achieved that in the past and I think they're attempting to do that in future. Um, But again roll ups, it's not a a business model that is hugely attractive because they work up until a point and then they often blow up um, at some point down the track. Um, So for me the jury's out, there's enough there to keep a loose eye on it um, but I'd I'd still want to watch things play out for now.
1: Okay, question from Christian, and I certainly don't know the answer to this, but how would I find out if my broker is selling my data to high-frequency traders to make a buck? Do you know which brokers don't? I know that um, Interactive Brokers does. What's prompted me to ask is that I recently placed a limit order to buy a link at 6.35. Seconds later, the market price was 6.26. You guessed it, my limit order was filled at
0: 6.35, bring brackets, I like to buy on bad news. Regards, Christian. yeah, I don't know the answer to this question. I think maybe there's a clue in the cost of the brokerage though. So, you know, Comsec where you pay twenty or thirty dollars for a transaction, I think they're less likely to be selling your data. But some of these newer firms that are, you know, offering really low cost brokerage, I think um, in order to have a, an, a sustainable business, they need to create value in other ways and I think that's probably through selling your data. So I think there's probably a clue in, in the cost. Um, I talked to our trader, Matthew Corroy, shout out to Matty. Um, <laughs> he actually didn't know either. So maybe ask, ask the broker that you use, maybe they can tell you or maybe there's a clue in the fees. Mm, it's one of the few bad things I've heard said about interactive brokers because I just happen to love them. Yeah, it's an incredible business. Yeah,
1: and so also listed on there, um, US stock exchange uh, with a big insider ownership too for anyone that invests overseas. Uh, hi team, what are your thoughts on NZ? Uh, it's the AS- ASX ticker WPP, they have a price to earnings ratio below 7, dividend yield of over 10% and a new CEO has finally joined. The share price looks highly oversold and currently close to 12 month lows also has a possible sale of the Cantar business that has been widely discussed in the media which could result in a big cash sale to WPP in the UK and a possible special dividend for local shareholders. I'm not sure what else they would do with the cash. Thanks Xavier.
0: Yeah this looks like a, a difficult business to me. It's, it's an advertising business essentially. It has 4,000 employees and so the value of the business is derived from 4,000 employees and I think those businesses are always difficult so I'm, I'm quite reluctant to spend a lot of time on a business like this. Um, the other thing I would add is that they do have quite a lot of debt um, and they've had declining earnings and a number of downgrades so it's a, it's a pretty risky combination I think. Um, even though those headline numbers appear attractive I think you want to think really carefully before diving in deeper. OK uh, we've got time for one
1: more. Uh, Another one from Christian. Ardent Leisure, one of the directors, has recently bought $4 million worth of shares, uh, which caught my eye. Any thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think it was Gary Weiss, um, the corporate raider, best hairdo in the investment game. <laughs> Fortunate <laughs> enough to actually uh, attend a mini conference where, where he presented.
1: He was an amazingly funny man, and I, think, I believe he's very popular with the ladies, and he's uh, also a musician, so he's, he's got everything. <laughs>
0: Yeah I don't really have strong opinions on Ardent either. Um, you know this is a collection of businesses so they own some of the theme parks in the Gold Coast, they own the main event business in the States which is an entertainment centre that provides bowling and karaoke and you know things for staff parties or birthdays and that type of thing. Um, I don't really have any strong views to be honest. These The theme parks you know they're really capital intensive, there's lots of operating leverage, you know when you have a disaster or when tourism turns down they um, the earnings struggle um, but when things are going good they make a bit of money so you get really volatile earnings. Um, no real strong opinions on Main Event in the States though. Yeah, I actually regret not buying Village Roadshow when I uh,
1: first came back last August because I was on top of the situation uh, and obviously I didn't know that there was going to be management changes and the brothers would end up in court which has turned out to be terrific. Um, share price is well up um, but the expectations for these businesses have just been so down because of what's been going on in Queensland. Uh, There's also bad weather thrown on top of that. Um, but there was just so much value in Village Roadshow. It's just always been managed absolutely terribly. And it's very hard when you're telling everybody that you're looking for these great businesses with good management. And here's this business that's absolutely laden with value, uh, 50 cent dollar you know, at least. Um, but you just don't know when you're going to see the value because management have just completely ruined things for about 10 or 15 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the, uh, they built the the water park out west in sydney which turned out to be a lemon i think they've spent 150 million dollars and i think they sold it for something like 30 or something wow. terrible like that uh, It just shows you these theme parks um, there's a lot of business in the us that are listed and do really well. Like disney is one of them does tremendously well out of its theme parks because it puts the prices up every year and people keep coming back Mm. but I think the quality of our theme parks in Australia and not quite to the I don't know if anyone's seen the new Star Wars one that's just about to open up but uh, absolute chalk and cheese
0: yeah Nate, you've got kids do you think your kids would be as interested in going to a theme park as you would have been at at the same Mm. age
1: Uh, I do think they would be and and I think uh, like I could never afford to go when I was young and coming from the country there was no way we were ever going on holiday anywhere but um, I feel like it's easier to go to them but I think one of the big problems is it's just not so special to go to them anymore I think there'd be a lot of kids that would be lucky enough to go overseas to the real genuinely large Disney theme parks and there would be a lot of kids in Australia that would go I don't really want to go I'd rather just sit here and play on my screens (laughs) Um, like I can't get my twins off them and I'm the worst parent because I I like the quiet and I can get some work done so I'm the worst offender uh, they spend way too much time on there but I just think there's so many competing things to do these days it's just not the only thing like it used to be such like, I remember I think the only holiday I ever went on as a kid I was must have been about five and I'm pretty sure my dad won a football award it was the only reason we got to go was to Surface Paradise now I just remember I imagine back then that was the only sort of thing that was there to do like that was a big thing to go to Surface Paradise whereas now the world's opened up. There's just so much more to choose from and uh, I think the theme parks are just not quite the monopoly um, or have a monopoly on the holidays that most people used to have.
0: Yeah, so potentially some structural challenges there. Yeah, I think so.
1: So that's all we've got time for today. As always, send in your questions to the game all one word, at in, uh, investmart.com.au and we'll be back in a fortnight to answer those questions. Thanks very much for listening.
0: To learn more about the income, growth and small companies' funds, head over to investmart.com.au. Relevant disclosure documents should be read before making any investment decisions. And if you have any questions you'd like answered by our team, send us an email at skininthegame at